0: everyone, and welcome back to the Ezra Live Hour, more or less. Today on the show, we've got Reed Mathis. That's what Beethoven sounded like. If you had a time machine, and you went back and watched that
1: motherfucker, it would have sounded like Jerry Lee Lewis. It wouldn't yeah. have sounded like classical music student getting an A. Yeah. You know, it yeah. would have been like, whoa, that guy. Take it down, buddy, like they right. told Jimi Hendrix, you right. know, like...
0: It's such an honor to have Reed. Um, Reed is a, an amazing, incredible musician and bass player. He's got a very unique style and a sound that is all his own. Um, he has a ton of musical experience starting around 1994 uh, when he joined the Jacob Fred Jazz Odyssey as a teenager and uh I think it was a seven-piece band at that time, but then he he went on to um co-lead it as a trio for most of its tenure with uh Brian Haas. And um he eventually joined uh the band Tea Leaf Green and was a member of that band for several years, uh, the popular Bay Area jam rock band. And um he also played with uh Guys like Steve Kimmock and Robert Walter and Steve Pryor from uh, Tulsa, where he's from. And um, let's see, uh, Billy Kreutzman, he's in the Bill Kreutzman, the drummer of the Grateful Dead's band, Billy and the Kids. He also had uh, did some tours with the Mickey Hart Band, the other Grateful Dead drummer. Um, and now he leads his own band, Electric Beethoven, which is a really rad band. Uh, It's got Jay Lane on drums from um, Rat Dog and Primus and Clay Welch, Todd Stoops, and they take Beethoven symphonies and improvise over them and play them uh, in a a way that you can dance and sounds more like rock and roll than classical music. It's pretty cool. Um, And he's doing that now, and we talk some about that um I've I've personally I first saw Reed play in in 2001 uh with Jacob Fred Jazz Odyssey at a festival in Massachusetts called Berkfest the Berkshire Mountain Music Festival uh which is not happening anymore but it was it was a pretty cool festival that happened for a number of years. Uh and I was a wee lad of of 18 and uh they blew my mind and they continued to blow my mind over the years and and I was I was a fan and I've I've been a fan of Reed since then and um always respect respected and admired him his playing and, and and was inspired by it and it's been great uh over the last several years to get to know him more and become a friend and musical colleague um and it was great to go and have a chat with Reed at his place um we spoke for over, over an hour and a half. So I had to, to cut it down a little bit, um, just to make it more accessible for y'all. Um, but it was hard because Reed is, has, uh, a lot, he's a very interesting guy and he has a lot to say. He has a lot of thoughts on music and, uh, sociology for lack of a better word. And, um, and and he has he's a wealth of knowledge as far as musical knowledge and and history, so we talk about all sorts of stuff and uh, it um uh but anyway I think you'll enjoy the conversation. So um, just a little more ado because I like that. Thanks again for tuning in. Um, keep telling people about the podcast and uh, feel free to share it and all that. And also I want I'd love to hear from you. So give me a shout out on Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, you can send me an email, theezraliphour at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are, guests you'd love to see on um, other segments you want to see me do. Um, It's all all the beginning of this, so please um, let me know how I can serve you by um, providing good, valued conversations. I think I think that's all that you do for today. Uh, although I'll give you a little bit more at the end, probably just to wrap it up. Anyway, please enjoy my conversation with the one and only Reed Mathis. What are we listening to? This
1: is Duke Ellington. Um, Never No Lament. It's my favorite album of his. And I've been remastering it for the last couple of days. Nice. And I
0: think I think I finally got it dialed in. Yeah.
1: Cool. Mm-hmm. What?
0: Uh, what? I'm curious where I, I notice you do that often, where you'll post and be like, "I just remastered this record." Like, where <sighs> does the intention come? Just to hear it in a different light. I just want to like it more. Yeah. In, and in like and that.
1: it's a it's a consequence-free place to try out ideas. What kind of ideas? Mix mixing ideas, editing ideas. Okay. Um, learn to use my software, and that's probably pretty loud. I'm sorry about that. Mm, sorry. Uh, you know, um, and just learn a, I don't know. It's like practicing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's practicing uh, for editing and songwriting, and and since I tend, I I also do it. It's an ex- it's an excuse to stare at the same recording for a week Hmm. in a way and like if you pick like the very greatest recordings of all time you know with these brilliant visionary soothsayers you know it's like when you stare at that for a week you know I mean I when I was before I had a computer I did that with my instrument Hmm. I would like be like this recording and I would listen to it with my bass for a month and Now I do that with the computer. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also like that my favorite jazz shit, I like so much stuff, but my favorite recordings of improvising are like pre-World War II, you know? And those recordings tend to be kind of poor. And the transfer to digital is also, was mostly done in the 80s before people were good at that. Uh And they didn't sell enough to have be worth the expense to redo it. Right, right. So... And you know a lot of those jazz recordings, it'll be like parts of it are super exciting and parts of it are kind of boring. And make a little concise version. I mean, some. I think the original impulse comes from playing my friends' shit I like,
0: and having them be like, meh. You know? Okay. So (laughs) wanting wanting that you to be like, no, you don't understand. I'm like, listen to this. Check it out. Like,
1: imagine that it's like this, and then I'm eventually like, why don't I just make it like that instead of telling them to imagine that? Right. You know. Kind of like that live album. It's sort of like yeah. I'm telling people, like, no, we're doing... Because people come up to me every fucking gig and be like, so you guys are great, I, but I don't understand what it has to do with Beethoven. Mm-hmm. And I'll, they'll be like, are you playing like a little bit of a melody and then jamming? And like, I'm sort of like, nah, I mean, we're, we're always on his form. And they're like, you're not just like, play a little bit of Beethoven and then play whatever. And I'm like, no, we're on his form the whole fucking time. Yeah. And people just look at me like they can't... They don't understand, really, which I don't blame them because right. it's not something
0: I've seen done very much. How does it feel now to finally be, to finally be do, not only doing this project, but I know that it's been a while, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you, mm. since you've really had a band that you could call your own and, and, and mm. lead with your own vision. I mean, even sure. Jacob Fred was, was more of a, uh, a collaboration between yeah. you and Haas, but this is your thing.
1: This, this is still a collaboration, It's okay. It feels very much like Jacob Fred, with the one exception that, although in, I felt like in Jacob Fred I had a veto, okay. uh, but um, e- you know, even when I was making concessions, I always had a veto.
0: Okay.
1: I because I, I just assumed I did. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> sure you, did. Yeah. but um, you know, but I also yeah, I wrote over half the music towards the end. Yeah. Um uh so but in this band the i picked i picked people that i felt like i had the thing that i thought i had in common with them was that they were not being challenged very much in their professional situations like that they had a misfit hmm. skill set oh, um, that like it's not like people didn't think they were great it's just that they had something about them that they had invented uh, that was not a, something very very truthful about themselves in their playing that other people didn't really need. Can, you know can what I mean?
0: Can, yeah, that's. can you speak to that a little bit, maybe with yeah. some of the players? Too. Yeah,
1: you know, I mean, well, just like Jay, the easiest way to say it with Jay is like, I'm seated with Rat Dog and it's super free and improvised and really sleepy Mm -hmm. and it never gets above a certain intensity level Mm -hmm. but improvising Mm -hmm. you know but no no raging no emotional spectrum really yeah Uh, or energetic spectrum I mean he's a boxer you know yeah (laughs) he's a poet too but and then uh, you know and then you see him with Primus raging super emotional no improvising right you know or you see him with Stu Allen and improvising but no real leading yeah, like nobody's really following him unless he gets really fired up, sure. which you know that's not always appropriate on a Tuesday. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's an example. Stoops is like he can play any style, whatever, all that kind of stuff. But what he's when he really shines, it's when you don't give him too many boundaries or instructions and he just sort of gushes. Okay. Similar to Brian Haas in that way. Okay. Like, the st- he doesn't, he can't tell you what it is, he can't right. tell you what he's doing, uh, but he just has a gear that most people don't have that he just kicks into it and he just, it's almost like speaking in tongues. This shit just, like, a friggin' spotlight, you know? Yeah, right. And that's, a lot of people think that's grandstanding. Okay. If you're in, like, an all-star jam or something or, like, or, uh, you know, um, or if you're trying to like write music with somebody, most people write music or put together a band with a
0: fixed sound in mind. Sorry, I'm gonna. What do you What do you mean by grandstanding? I'm actually. Uh. Greed or okay. whatever, you know, like okay. playing Showing greedy off,
1: picking oh. out. Robert okay. Walter calls it picking out. Okay. Um. Okay. But you don't think it's picking out in this case? No, okay. that's. See, I this is how, where I relate to to these guys is that I also, when expressing myself, have been accused of pigging out, mm-hmm. and I feel like it it sticks out because it's not what people it's not what people ordered.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That doesn't mean it's not tasty. Mm-hmm. It's just not what was on the menu. Yep. they thought they were ordering off the menu, and here's this other thing that they've mm-hmm. never heard of, mm-hmm. and people respond differently to that you know so if you're a sensitive person that doesn't like stepping on toes you eventually become trigger shy or you get into a habit of just going i'm gonna do it anyway and like you know don't look down and then you just then it's kind of reckless and it has this weird shame component that makes you kind of underdo it or overdo it right and you just don't feel it easy you don't feel like it's okay to be you yeah yeah Especially if you're a rhythm section person, um, you know, guitar players are given such a pass mm-hmm. to express themselves. Most of them do it, you use that space for doing impressions, but uh, they are given that space, they are assumed I- impressions as impersonations, you mean? Yeah, yeah, um, and you know, but they it's assumed that the guitarist has that space, yeah, and is given that space, set him up in front they yeah, take the, the solos. if there's a solo it's theirs yeah unless it's like maybe we'll do a keyboard solo yeah. on this song you yeah. know like what that's a crazy spice you know right yeah yeah um, you know the rock and roll uniform format yeah uh, <laughs> uniform app. Um, yeah. and you know so so i feel like we you know clay i've known clay since he was 15 he was the best guitar player in oklahoma when he was 15 nice and he was in every band in oklahoma for months and then eventually they would be like could you maybe not express yourself Hmm. and he would be like i'm gonna yeah and they would sometimes be feel very threatened yeah or feel like he was competing with them and i know that feeling and it's a weird feeling when you're not when you're not trying to be aggressive because to me it just feels like self acceptance hmm. like it's okay oh, my feelings are okay yeah, is what it that's the technique of what I, how I like to play uh-huh and but if it if you're accused of it being not self acceptance but self worship or
0: you think you're better than yeah yeah
1: you know like oh who do you think you are oh wow you're gonna mr mr i'm gonna play all over everything yeah you know whatever and like as if there was malintent
0: you know and like that's hard to process and and i'm guessing you've you've had enough conflicts with that sort of scenario in in your career and i'm not sure i I've had a lot of situations where I was perceiving that conflict, okay
1: but who knows if it was really happening? Okay. It could have been huh. I, that definitely happened enough times for it to be like a trauma imprint. Hmm. And so now, if anything in the situation resembles that's how trauma works, you know like if if your nervous system picks up anything in the current situation that resembles the traumatic event enough, your're before you're even conscious of it, your whole nervous system readies for fight or flight, yeah, yeah, and it doesn't matter if there was really a bear in the bushes. if there was a bear in the bushes that one time and it was on the right, and then now you hear a rustling in the bushes on the right, everything's gonna arm
0: mm-hmm. whether
1: you, it it could be a
0: squirrel yeah did you would you would you experience that in Jacob Fred uh-huh? Okay. Sometimes, yeah. But now you have your own band. Is that gone now that you are the leader unequivocally? Yes,
1: except for occasional moments where self acceptance is a. You're. It's, it's a. It's never done. It's a process. Yeah, yeah. You're never like well accepted. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you're always. But it, but it always...
0: helps to be in the context where you're amongst. People that support you and are you sure and looking out, and-, and that's what I off- That's what I feel like I was really offering the other three guys because I'm mm-hmm. definitely not offering them a
1: lot of money or anything right. like right now. Yeah, but it's sort of like I want them to be their most self. Like, like yeah. I want, I want it to be as not all the shit you're all the shit you're embarrassed about is what you play here.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and like. So, I mean, I I know from my own experience that that beats money. <laughs> sure. <laughs> if you're if you're yeah. weighing things, I mean, obviously, eventually you have to be like, well, I'm going to go take this gig and like that's yeah, money, but right. But if you're offered a place to truly be yourself, and that feels rare to you, not that other people are are expecting you not to, it's like implied in genre specific music mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you're that that
0: you come in costume or mm-hmm, not at all mm-hmm. or or degrees on the spectrum sure you know like you there's maybe a few moments for you to step out but right you know but ultimately it's more stays in this it's like social rules
1: yeah you know it's like open the door for for a lady and uh, you know and say excuse me after you burp and like it's manners yeah that's yeah. what genres are you know yeah. And assuming that you are going to adopt this set of manners just to play a song mm-hmm. is assuming a lot, I think, yeah. from one another. Yeah. Um, and it can feel alienating when it looks like no one else is bothered by that. It's sort of like, it's hard not to be like, well, what's wrong with me then?
0: Right. Well, I, I think it, it also has to do with intention, too, because... If, if your specific intent is like, let's play uh, 60s Bob, and like, let's really just do that and make it as, st- you know, genre-specific sp- as we can, and everyone's like on the same page, then, then that's cool. Right. But that's not what you want to do for your for your. Well, life. like, I don't see why you would want to do that ever. I, I don't either. <laughs>
1: but I know that other people... I mean, do. except as an apprentice okay you yeah. know yeah, yeah for sure to, to I mean apprenticeship is, is huge yeah um, but you don't leave the parking brake on when you start driving you know I mean well let me ask you this because you
0: have you have a prolific knowledge and breadth of, of influences and styles and music that you've uh, listened to and incorporated it into, into your mm-hmm. own playing over the years and were there times when you tried to be take more of an apprentice approach or was it just more in the listening or oh for sure okay oh yeah I mean I mean every group I've ever been
1: in has kicked my ass and I've huh. felt completely un not completely but grossly unqualified for it um, uh, really at, at the beginning at the beginning and that is the joy of joining ensembles mm-hmm. you know it's like, You know, when I joined Jacob Fred, I was the youngest of eight. Yeah. And they were all in college and had been playing gigs and stuff. And I was in high school and I'd never been in a band before. Oh, wow. And I had just played in my room, really, you know, and at school and at church but I hadn't played in bars you know? how, did,
0: how did you get into um,
1: a guy that had grown up down the street from me was going to the same college as okay. those guys
0: so he obviously saw something in you yeah they
1: were like man how come there's no good bass players at this college and he was like man there's this kid down the street from my parents that mm. you guys should meet he's like fucking 16 you yeah know? so I started hanging out with them and it was really cool but then they would occasionally just like totally laugh at me or whatever and just be like that's not funky you know mm. and I would be like yeah, it's funky yeah. as hell, and yeah. they'd be like, "No, no, it's not funky," and it hurt my feelings. And then I would be like, "Well, what, what, what should I do?" And they would usually give me an album. Yeah, Checking Prince, D'Angelo, yeah, whatever, Tribal yeah. Quest, like yeah. Bob Marley, uh, Machito, you know, like whatever, uh, Babatunde, you know. Just like they would lay, they would give me a record that would that they thought might correct. My blind spot.
0: And when did it? Yeah, every yeah. time. Yeah.
1: And then, you know, and then I started playing with, like, blues guys around Oklahoma and country guys, and then Steve Kimmock, and yeah. then Robert Walter. And every time I did that, I
0: was like, I have no idea how to play what you guys are doing. Although, but you're, you're kind of fast-forwarding time a little bit. Oh, really? From the early days of Jacob Fred to, to Steve I mean, Kimmock. We started playing Walter. in 94. I started playing with Steve Pryor in
1: 96. Um, who I played with for like five years. He was like a my main mentory dude. Yeah, I know you wrote a tribute to him. Yeah, he died a year yeah, ago. I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, I couldn't believe he made it that long.
0: Okay.
1: But uh, he, you know, I I was very. I, he was like a roots musician. You know, he was like a virtuoso guitarist, pedal steel player, couldn't read a note of music. Mm. Uh, knew zillions of fucking songs and was one of the greatest musicians I've ever seen. And uh, due to his drug habit, he blew every major opportunity he ever had. But um, that was 96. And then I met Steve Kimmock in 99. Okay.
0: Okay, And then
1: I met Robert Walter in 2001. Started playing with him and Skarek and Mike D around the same time. And um, every time I sort of did that I was like total faking total faker yeah for the style yeah you know? and then like singer-songwritery people around Oklahoma and then uh, and then T.D. Green yeah and then Grateful Daddy stuff Yep. and every time it was like what is this music and how does one play it blues the like a whole two set show of blues like I had to do in uh 96, you know? Yeah. And I was listening to friggin' weather report and shit, you right, know right. like, <laughs> like how, do, how do I make this? Yeah, and they would just like two sets. and just like what is the why do I sound so wimpy and small? Mm-hmm. Like would listen to these recordings, you know, Freddie King, B.B. King, you know, John Lee Hooker, Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan you know, and just be like, why does my shit sound so lame? You, right. Like that shit's banging, you know? And like listening to Big bands, you know, like, from the 30s. Not big bands now. Yeah. Big bands that actually... The real big bands, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, fuck, why does it sound so lame when I do it? It sounds fully erect when you hear them do it, you know? So, just figuring out why... Why it sounds awesome when Paul McCartney does it and lame when I do it. That's, like, what you have to do. That's the apprentice thing.
0: And did you... uh, Could you put that into words at all? That... Why why Paul McCartney sounds like a certain way and, and you ha- didn't at some point? Well, I don't know, but you... If
1: you're trying to learn... If you're trying to apprentice to an example and you notice that, I'm I'm doing everything I can think of the same, but it doesn't... It's not awesome like that. Right. Shit. And then you feel for what you're missing, you know? Yeah. Maybe, oh, he's, he's cutting the note off quicker than I am or he's playing it... Uh, he's not... He's like leaving more space or leaving less space or Mm -hmm. ghost in this note or like you end up finding a little thing and you're like oh now it's that's okay so without that thing it doesn't hit as hard or
0: whatever right or like
1: groove shit or whatever yeah
0: it could also just be he's comfortable in that skin yeah so it's not as important what notes he's playing but just
1: well, yeah, eventually what you end up with is, like, these people, what they all have in common is they're telling the truth about themselves,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? Fucking Aretha Franklin, Louis Armstrong, Jim Keltner, whoever the fuck, all these people that we give a fuck about, Yeah, that's what they have in common. And doing. so it's like, oh, well, that's the technique. Right. But
0: Which is you, counterintuitive to what we were just talking about. It's the opposite yeah. of
1: showing up and nailing the band's first album, yeah. or as an aesthetic not covering those songs but being like these are our originals but they are very specifically this thing yeah and like you know people would say things to me like oh the bass doesn't do that right there and I'd be like what if Reed does that right there like I'm not a it's hard to separate for me and I'm proud of that you know I feel like that's a hard one they tell you that when you're young, like oh the greats, you know they're like in, inseparable from their instrument or their, whatever their expression, you know. Mm-hmm. You watch a video of Jimi Hendrix and you're just like, that is one thing happening. Yeah, it's not he's not playing that music. Like he's he embodying does, yeah. the entire. Unta- it's like no part of him is not playing that music. Right. You know. So,
0: and and before, I mean. <laughs> I, I mean, I know a little about his history, but I, I wonder if he had problems early on. Yes, he did. Many, many, many. Okay, no, no, no! Don't do like, that. Don't play like that. He was in like, like soul
1: bands, right? He toured for years as a as a side man. Uh, sometimes little gigs. Sometimes I can Tina Turner, Little Richard. He did some big Downers tours. Must have been challenging, because I'm sure they wanted to box him in. Well, the way they tell it later after he died, they're all like, it was incredible having him in my band. Yeah. But I bet you anything they would be like, easy, easy, yeah. buddy. Yeah. Hey, down. Yeah, totally. You know, Don't do that shit with the teeth and the, you know, maybe try to hold still while you're playing or, you know, don't. That's grandstanding. Yeah. yeah. If if, be, if telling the truth about yourself happens to be big, then people think <laughs> it be that you are, you think you're bigger than them or something, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Jimi Hendrix wasn't following the Jimi Hendrix rules. Now if you play, if a guitar player plays Purple Haze, they'll get a Stratocaster out and they'll try to do the thing and they'll try to get the sound and they'll do the fucking stuff. And it's like, that's literally the opposite of what he did. Yeah, and, and,
0: it's, uh, <laughs> and it's just as true in the Grateful Dead world. Yes! I think so too. Yeah. And I have
1: been, the I have been part of rigorous debates on that subject. Yeah. Um,
0: And 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 just as it was true in the in the the bebop world and the post pop, I mean, all all the things it the the music eventually became a caricature of itself, you know. But where the spirit it was invented in was people crack the code. They they go the rules the rules of sounding like the Beatles are this.
1: Yeah, and they're like we did it. Yeah, but then it's an autopsy. Yeah, things done as soon as it's not (laughs) changing anymore. It's dead. dead, That's the definition of death. Yes. You know? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So like, you know, it's like well, why would we want that? Like, yeah. why do we want rock and roll to have correct rules that we all follow? And why is why is the person that isn't following the rock rules making other people uncomfortable? Isn't that the point of rock and roll? Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. jazz or whatever? Isn't this disruptor fucking art? Yep. Or is it? Right. You know, like I I mean, I I think... Is this the DMV or are we playing a rock and roll show? Like, what's going on here? You know? And that's the way I feel about playing Beethoven, you know? It's like... Everybody that ever met that dude was like, Whoa, that guy was fucking intense. Like, you know... Women were banned from his shows for a while. Really? He was just like... Fucking intense motherfucker, you know? And it's like... If you don't play it like that, they might do an impression of that. But to actually summon your own energy... You can't try to sound like other shit, or you, or you can't summon your own energy. At best, you're summoning your summoning your memory. Yeah, you know. But that's not memory. Isn't what's making your heart pump? You know. Yeah. So. You know, it's just fascinating. You know, and it's playing. I've I've heard Beethoven songs my whole life, and I always wanted him to sound like, <laughs> like rowdy. Yeah. Routier. And when I met Brian Haas, he had played tons of Beethoven too, hmm. and he played it like Jerry Lee Lewis, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I was like, that's what Beethoven sounded like. If you had a time machine, and you went back and watched that motherfucker, it would have sounded like Jerry Lee Lewis. It wouldn't yeah. have sounded like classical music student getting an A. Yeah, you know, It yeah. would have been like, whoa, that guy! Take it down, buddy, like they told Jimi Hendrix, you know? Like,
0: yeah, yeah, it's a little too bright for us.
1: And everybody in my band has been told that their Mm -hmm. entire adult life. Hey, but hey, easy, buddy. Mm -hmm. Who do you think you are? Yep. You know? That's not what we're doing tonight. Yeah. I've certainly been on that side of things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, let's just get a whole crew of people that have been living Mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. And be like, permission granted, be yourself. And I promise to accept it mm-hmm. no matter what mm-hmm. and whatever you play will be the song and it will be perfect and i will treat it that way yes anything you do i am game and not only am i game i'm gonna learn your patterns. so the second time you hit it I'm, i hit it with you if you notice that's how the group improvises more often than we solo we copy each other
0: like like uh like a round. Yeah. You know? I, I did know it's way more group improv sounding than... Yeah, the there's almost no soloing, yeah, you know? Yeah. I've, if there are, they're pretty short. Right. And then we get back to, like,
1: if we're just playing a, a riff, and then I introduce, like, a... Boom. boom. It's totally stupid. And, but next time, everybody hits it the second time. Because the the thing that we have really are paying attention to a lot is, like what catches and what doesn't in the that that's like the art of that because the first time you try to do this kind of group improv stuff where you're like okay everybody follow clay this is how we rehearsed for this band okay you know like everybody follow clay we'll we'll play page 11 over we'll just loop page 11 and everybody follow clay this time okay and then clay would be like and then it takes us like ten times before we before Stoops and I are playing anything remotely resembling what he did, or harmonizing it. And he, he might get unsure and the third time change what he did just as I'm starting to learn it. Uh-huh. But if instead of he were to go, but guess what? Second time, everybody in the band knows yeah. what to do. So yeah. you're like, so you find okay over here, way too hard, never going to work. Over here, definitely gonna work, but pretty nursery rhyme
0: mm-hmm.
1: And then you start playing with where's that mm-hmm. threshold? At what right. point does it become too complicated for everybody in the band to get it right away? Yeah. And then that's you where you hang out.
0: Or just or whatever, just, you just, just... wanna
1: feel your way around that, yeah. that boundary. Like, like maybe try, maybe establish something and then make it a little more complicated, but mm. start when, it, when you get the ball make a move that doesn't take two times to learn. Like, make a move that everybody can learn the first time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if I go, da, do, bah, <laughs> da, do, bah, da, do, Right. Yeah, I didn't need to do it more than once. Yeah. Everybody is like, there it is, okay. And then they have a minute to get ready. Mm-hmm. And then you do it again. You don't take up the entire four bars. Leave, And in the holes is where people start to ver- do variation. Right. and then. We then we're composing, and that's mm-hmm. how Beethoven wrote. But you, <laughs> but
0: you are sticking to Beethoven's forms, yeah, his chord so, progressions. So, will you be ex- experimenting with rhythmic and, and melodic ideas like that, but over a set progression? Yes, Is that okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And we're and we've taken things that maybe only happened once in his form and being like, Let's those 32 bars are a song, let's repeat that, mm-hmm. or these four bars when we get to there. Just hang out. One four one four one four one four until Q, and then we'll go on. Mm-hmm. Even though Beethoven only did that twice, twice. Yeah. or something, you yeah. Know? yeah. Um, so we'll, you're we'll extracting be like, many, many passages and uh-huh. kind of
0: expanding them, and
1: yeah, yeah. Mostly, what we're trying to do is, you know, that like I was talking about that threshold of like what people will get the first time. the The other flip side of that is that that's also what the dancers will understand. Mm-hmm. If if it takes us several repetitions to learn a part, how, how long do you think it's going to take them? Right. We know each other. Yeah. yeah. So like playing something that every that is so obvious the very first time you do it makes people comfortable to dance. Yeah. They they know you're not trying to trick them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so we've been while doing all this improvising, like also very much attention on the room. And if they're starting to talk. Or stop, or stop moving if they're starting to stand and watch us.
0: Then we need to simplify. Huh. And, and and you'll pick up those subtle audience cues in the middle of the performance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when we, if we've got a good dance
1: audience, we we'll play one movement for a whole set. Hmm. Wow. Right. And and we'll hang out on a section for a long time yeah. and just move the groove, play with yeah. the groove, you know, yeah. like, but not clever jazz improvising like sure. improvise so that they are throbbing mhm like you were saying you're like your head's going even in the car yeah yeah you know like that should never stop yeah you know cuz that is how listeners participate when you're dancing you're improvising Mm-hmm. with us, mm-hmm. you're present with us, mm-hmm. you don't know what you're about to dance,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: whereas when you're watching and thinking about the music, you know, that's like memory, you know, you're comparing it against your memory and weighing it against what you know and what you, what you whatever, what, you know, it's, it's getting all tangled up in there, but if you just dance, even just this, this much, then you're, for, to... you're present and yeah. you're participating yeah. and you're, you've got some skin in the game uh-huh you know uh-huh. and then so which is what makes this kind of recording so instructive because this is a band this is Duke Ellington 1940 this is a band that was filled with virtuoso soloists 2 years after this 6 of the guys left and started their own bands that were famous you know Johnny Hodges Ben Webster you know all these Cootie Williams they all had the Cootie Williams big band 2 years later like But they were all in this one band for like two years and they lived on a train and played fucking five nights a week and played to dancers. People didn't go to shows. They went to dances. Uh, Will you go to the dance with me? Yeah. Uh, You know, adults, not school dance. Like they were called, their shows were called dances and they were dance contests and like, you know, so this is a band of virtuoso improvisers that they're, Single non-negotiable goal was that this is a dance, and that's why they're improvising is so fucking awesome. It has all. If you just play for the dancers, your priorities are immediately in line. You
0: know. What so what and and do you think uh, when it got to later miles and Coltrane, they just weren't as interested in, in having people dance, where it was just more definitely about the art. Definitely. I mean yeah,
1: you know, from what I gather, you know, Charlie Parker and Malcolm X were in Harlem at the same time. Okay. They were the same age. You know. That was similar message. Um As far as what? In that music, as far as I'm not here to entertain new people. I'm not an entertainer. I'm an artist. And I'm a man, and like it's like a really pretty aggressive so Bert- borderline.
0: Parker kind of started to stray from that. That idea.
1: generation, yeah. Monk, all those yeah. guys—they were nice guys, but just they were like, "I'm a proud black man. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a titan. I'm yeah. a fucking, you know, like yeah. I'm not here to entertain you. Yeah, you know, you you paid to see me because I'm great. Yeah, not because, uh. I don't owe you anything. Yeah. Like I'm gonna sit here and reveal my revelation to you. It's like a very empowerment individual. You know, like uh, take your power back. Mm-hmm. You know, and like for and it went way extreme for them, yeah. where they were like dancers. Like, what are you talking about? I'm an artist. Yeah. You know, like, I'm, like, Picasso and shit. Like, that's what they, that's how they were feeling, you know? Those guys grew up playing for dancers. Dizzy Gillespie toured with the Cab Calloway band for eight years before starting his own shit. You know, like, that was a dance band, you know? It's, like, they were all just, like, yeah, we don't, we don't do that, you know? But then, of course, all the college kids are, like, well, Elvis is playing down the street. Yeah. And then, psh- whole other direction. Went the other direction. Yeah. And then jazz musicians were, it was a badge of honor that you weren't right. an entertainer. Yeah, You know, but then guess what? Less and less people give a fuck because life's hard and yeah. work is hard Yeah, and relationships are hard. And when you pay 20 bucks to go out to a club, you want, you want to dance and feel better right. and feel included yeah. and feel... The security around you like your community like these are my people the best shows are where you're like these are my people mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's like a social healing you know and like so being like you know you, you guys probably can't even understand this art but it's okay you know? yeah
0: it's like well is that who's that good for you know like and but it doesn't seem to compromise your artistic sense wanting people to dance at your shows Well, I've had, I've studied the, the, the missing links, like the
1: people that could do both, like Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, Uh Billie Holiday, you know, Count Basie, that era was like the height of improvising being, this was, these records sold millions. This was, there wasn't other pop music for young people.
0: And 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 you don't think I want to keep going on how yeah. your take on it, but you don't think Ellington thought he was selling out at the time by playing these no. dances. He was still expressing himself yeah. authentically. There's
1: this famous like thing in Downbeat magazine where Dizzy Gillespie talked all this trash on Louis Armstrong, and you know uncle tom you know grinning for the white people Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like he's like a comedian up there it's like a minstrel Mm -hmm. show it's embarrassing this was at the time in the 40s okay and then the next issue they gave lewis a little rebuttal and he was Mm like it is like i am like a comedian like i'm up there in the service of joy and everybody in that building knows it Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah whatever sure so he didn't know you're correct yeah (laughs) yeah, <laughs> I am yeah. clowning. Yeah. I am there. I am there. I want all those people to pat their foot and smile, mm-hmm. and like, and he was still. But did not feel like he was know? taking
0: his integrity? No, because
1: yeah. he wasn't doing it against his will. Right. You know, he wanted them to be happy. He yeah. wanted him to be happy. Right. Yeah. He wanted a happy room. Yeah. You know, that was like as important to him as. I'm Louis Armstrong and I'm awesome. Yeah. You know, so, I think that's, well, and the the thing for me is that I feel like starting in the Bush years, you know, it's like the economy just got so weird, and young people have less and less, there's more and more free ways to scratch that itch. You can watch YouTube, I yeah. can go, it's like, oh, I wanna see, uh, you know, friggin' Messi Martin Wood show, I can go on YouTube and watch a full MMW show from last week. Yeah, They could be playing at the Fox Theater tonight, And I could be like, "Wow, twenty
0: bucks, man. I don't
1: know," and put on a go to YouTube and put on a show from a week ago. Yeah, and be like,
0: "Pretty good. These guys are fucking dope, man." Yeah, Yeah,
1: I can see better. I can hear better. Yeah, it's free. Yeah. So. So like that's just increased, and so I've been looking at the depression. You know, this era when in I read that in 1930 there were like. 50,000 full-time jazz bands on the road. And by, and by 1935, wow. they were like 3,000. Wow. Because of the yeah. economy. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so those 3,000 that kept making ends meet mm-hmm. and didn't have to go work at the laundromat, mm-hmm. what did they do? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the difference between 1930 jazz and 1935 jazz that made the cut as far as people thinking it was worth their money? Yeah. And it's like, the tempos... Hmm. No super fast songs, yeah. no super slow songs. Yeah. Uh major keys. Hmm. Four on the floor. Yep. At all times. Mm-hmm. Never not four on the floor. Mm. You know? Maybe four on the floor and
0: mm-hmm. right.
1: but always. Uh, there's yep. no like check out my check out how subtle my my, my magic, you know, like yeah, yeah. it's not like dad. They're not. It's not like dazzling you with rhythm. Yes. It's pleasing you with rhythm. Yeah, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. it's not an enigma. Yeah, yeah. it's not
1: like a, a dare. Right. It's an invitation, right? Right. You know, and but every bit as rhythmically complicated as the clever shit. Sure. But naturally. Yeah. You know, so it's like I'm just like, well, let's do what they're doing. Yeah. Shorter solos. The solos are all kind of catchy, funky. Mm-hmm.
0: But you're into the other stuff, obviously. You know, oh man, yeah.
1: yeah, definitely. And as a you know, I mean that as a as a young man, I feel like those guys were almost like parents to me or something.
0: Talk about that, like a like Coltrane. Bit. And yeah, yeah. So you know, just as far as introducing you to musical, no, ideas. like just their life,
1: their lives, huh. their lifestyle. And like their values. And like I was pretty lost, you know, like uh, didn't have a very solid. um, I didn't grow up with examples of healthy um, self value. Yeah. You know, and. The positive side of that post-Charlie Parker individual, the music of the individual, you know? Like, the positive part of that is this... Like, you know, I obviously don't have the racial element that was a huge part of it for some of those guys. Yeah. But taking your power back is what that sound is to me. And, like, like seeing the divine in yourself, you know, and seeing... That you are identical to the greatest thing there ever was. Is whatever. Like that stuff is I wasn't raised with that. Even though I was raised like in the church, you know. In fact, you know, modern Christianity almost makes you distrust yourself. It's like Mm. Yeah. You know, not my will but thy will. Whatever. You know, it's like, well sure, that's nice, but there's nothing wrong with me. Like, I'm okay too, (laughs) right? You know, but they don't you don't get that message necessarily. Mm And then, you know, my family fell apart and then I was, uh, you know, five bucks from homeless for eight years without any family, um, you know, and without an address a lot of that time. And, um, and I was looking at people like Coltrane and Bob Marley and, you know, Louis Armstrong and, um... You know, these these people were like teaching me how to that find myself valuable as I am. Not like I'm smart enough to figure out how to be valuable, but like I'm valuable. I am. I just am. Yeah. All this stuff is. Yeah. The trees are. The whole yeah. thing. You know, but that identifying with empowerment, that's what that music's about. Hmm. You know, and unfortunately dance is the only form of listening that makes sense to everyone (laughs) you know and the people with a certain type of wiring that can hear coltrane and be like like feeling like you're getting mentored in how to value yourself most people don't have that reaction when they hear coltrane they're sort of like whoa that's weird yeah it's kind of ugly it's real loud and can we turn that down a little bit and like you know Take it easy, there, buddy.
0: <laughs>
1: right. And that's not what it sounds like to me. So, to expect everybody to have that response to it—that's not going to happen. You're not going to eventually ed- create a culture where everybody likes John Coltrane. Yeah. But everybody does like this shit. Right. There's nobody in the world you put on some early Louis Armstrong that they're not like. They can't. Hang word. Right. Yeah. Everywhere yeah. in the world, everybody's like that sound. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: You know. <laughs> yeah. And you know, New Orleans you know so it's like that's why not play that if we're gonna spend our lives improvising and asking people to pay us what do they need what are their needs why are they paying to see a musician that's not famous you know yeah what that's is okay. our service right. that we're yeah that, that we're supposedly providing you yeah. know
0: dance community and uh, less alone getting, <laughs> have you been getting good receptions on that front mm-hmm awesome
1: yes Definitely, and I try. I've been more than I ever have in my life um, talking to the audience. Yeah, um, and talking about um, our intention. And I feel like a dork. And it took the, it took Jay like a couple of months to stop being like "boomch" after like everything I said and like yeah. stuff like that. You know, it's like. Yeah. It felt awkward, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, But I just kept doing it.
0: Yeah.
1: And I, in those moments, I just tell myself, like, man, everybody in this room feels awkward. Like, so so we have that in common. Yeah. They're not looking at me like I'm a freak. Right. They're just, I feel awkward. They feel awkward. Let's feel awkward. So that's, it makes my point for me, in a way, that self-acceptance, that (sighs) Beethoven's music can, he can mentor you in trauma resolution. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm if you are willing to dance and follow those forms, somebody who was orphaned at 15, beaten until that age, and then homeless, and then lied... Beethoven. And then lied his way into the big city into having gigs, rose to the top of the local piano gigs, and then went deaf. (laughs) Like, and that guy, that's when he started making great shit. Right. Like, not only did he get over, did he get through that, he got better. Yeah. You know? And it's like, I feel like encoded in those forms is kind of how he did it. You know? And it's like, so... You know, like, you you never... It's not like the trauma goes away. You, like, it's resolved. And, and, like, encoded is his, like, spiritual journey? Um, I think... I think that, like, it would be, like, step one. Step two. Step three. Step four. You get all the way through the 50 steps, and boom, your headache's gone. Okay. Maybe.
0: Yeah. As, as far as him coming to a place of, of healing. Well, this has been my experience of...
1: With his music, that if I listen to it intently or play it from top to bottom, I feel very different. It's like a yoga. It's like doing yoga, or meditating yeah. for an hour. You're yeah. just sort of like, oh man, I feel so much better. Yeah. Because like, it walks you through trouble, anguish, acceptance, resolution, optimism. It just does it. Yeah. Because he does it. If you pay attention the whole time, he does that chronologically in yeah. his work. In wow. No, in each song. Oh, okay. Like, wow. That's what they're doing. That's yeah. the form. That's the form. Yeah, yeah. You know? Wow. None of them end not triumphantly. None of them begin less than audacious. All of them hit trouble. Yeah. All of them arrive at anguish, resolve that, and end at triumph. Every song
0: they ever wrote. So it's like, well, let's do that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> That's a tall order for a, for a songwriter too, but I like it. Yeah. Well, you know, but if you just take
1: his chord progressions, it's like, they're not fancy. Like he didn't, he was self-taught. Like he learned folk music. So Beethoven's songs are G, C7, G, C7, A minor, C7, G, C7, E minor, C7, G, c 7 G. you know what I mean? Yeah, They're not, it's, not, it's, it's not, not, not like Bach or yeah, Mozart or something right. where it's like these math towers you know like his music is all one four five and like power chords and yeah, like
0: Titanic. funky
1: and like catchy you know like and his music is what eventually migrated to New Orleans and became the underpinning for Creole music
0: really yeah all
1: right. and then you know throw in some you know the Union army occupied New Orleans for 20 years after the Civil War, so you have all these freed slaves, you have black people moving from Atlanta and Memphis, and, um, you know, the, 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 the black South is gravitated towards the cities, New Orleans being the main one, and there's also Union Army there for 20 years and legal prostitution, so you have gospel singers, blues singers, guitar players, all moving here where there are snare drums and trumpets mm. fucking everywhere. Yeah. Because the because army's the army, there yeah. and the army's off-duty. They're like police, basically. Right, so they're right. just playing, they're just marching all the yeah. time. Uh, so you get, and then, so the Congo Square drummers get snare drums instead of jimbees. And then hmm. uh, this, you know. Oh, and then uh, the the like 50 black orchestras that existed in New Orleans, all black orchestras, classical orchestras, Uh, were outlawed after the war. Uh, They couldn't play for white audiences anymore. So now you have a generation of black musicians that know Beethoven, and the only place they can play is in the whorehouse or the bar. Mm -hmm. And then all these sort of Trinidadian, Jamaican drum things uh, are suddenly being done on snare drums and cowbells. Mm -hmm. And there's New Orleans music. Boom. And then all the prostitution gets put in one square mile. And so all those musicians are now playing in one square mile. Pianists that have been playing Beethoven since they were five, but now can only play for other black people. Mm-hmm. People playing island rhythms on snare drums and kick drums. You know? Trumpet players and blues singers. So Beethoven's chord progressions... And I Beethoven's chord progressions are what joined with island rhythm and blues, yeah, to make American whatever.
0: Is that is that recognized
1: in music history? Uh, I mean, depends who you ask. Yeah. You know, I I I mean, I I I learned that from books. Okay. But um, when I tell people, it's usually news to them. Yeah. Yeah. but if you if you listen to Dixieland after learning these Beethoven songs, and then you listen to Louis Armstrong in nineteen twenty five, they are playing Beethoven's chord progressions.
0: Yeah. Verbatim. Yeah. Not not plagiarizing, but but No, but you, like, like one five, one five, in, one five, one yeah. 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 five. Like yeah.
1: they're just doing it in time with Funky, Bluesy. But it's those chords in that order, you know, like those melodies. You know? Uh, so, so if you if you just fast forward that, that becomes rock and roll. Yeah. And the, and all the Earth's music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The kind of music I wrote for Jacob Fred, those kind of forms, those kind of songs, the the types of forms we were working on are the same as these Beethoven songs. So I was sorta of like Like I kinda of came to the conclusion that like asking somebody to learn, asking an audience person to wrap their heads around and enjoy a new dialect of improvising or of of whatever, a new thing where they're like, what kind of music is this, you know? And asking them to hear a bunch of songs they've never heard. Or you're yes. asking two large things of them. Yeah. And yeah. that's why improvisers have long relied on standards, because... It's a lot easier to follow... If if you're 22 years old in 1945, mm-hmm. it's a hell of a lot easier to follow Charlie Parker playing a Gershwin song than some shit he wrote. Yeah. Because you've been humming that song for 10 years. Yeah. So you're like, whoa, looks like what he did with that fucking song. You know? Yeah. And what, what does everybody play now, man? Come on. It's, everybody plays Grateful Dead songs every three feet. Mm-hmm. You know? Musicians that I thought would never play Grateful Dead songs are now making a full-time living at. it. Yeah. You know? And that is... Because yes, that is great music, and everybody has a genuine reverence for it. Also, there's a market for it. There's audiences that can follow improvisations on that music. You know, improvising musicians, our age aren't lining up to be in a kiss bands. Yeah. They're, they're, it's grateful that because there's room to improvise, there's room to be yourself, you're encouraged in some ways to be yourself. Yeah. But the audience follows it. Yeah. Eats it up. So that is.
0: Which is a good, which is a a fortunate
1: incidence. Yeah. It's wonderful. And then, and then you're not asking, asking them to follow your improvisation is not also asking them to learn a song. Yeah. And if you write instrumental songs for improvising, you're asking a lot of those motherfuckers. A lot of people go see MMW and just think it's gibberish the whole time. Right, right. And I can hear the songs that they're doing variations on. But most people are just like, I don't know what that was. Yeah. You know? Um, It's too much to process at once. Unless you see them five times and then you're like, I like this one. Yeah, yeah. They go into it, they drop into a thing and you're like, ah, this one. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But like, but yeah,
0: yeah, you know,
1: like, but that's not the first time. Right. You're not going to have that response. The First time you're going to be like, I am overwhelmed. Yeah. And I'm not scared of doing that, but people don't really want (laughs) to pay for that. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Most people don't. Want to be dominated in that way when they go out, yeah. you know, yeah. for the night. It's like I've tried to really frame music as us as the food I make at the restaurant. You know, like like if if people aren't buying your like weird burger with macaroni and cheese on it, it's not because they're. You can say they're dumb all you want. Like, why aren't they eating this delicious thing? But if they're not buying it, you know, we'll figure out. Change it. Yeah. Figure out what yeah. you what you like that they will like too. Yeah. You know. So. That doesn't mean it doesn't have to be good quality or or something that you would want to eat. Of course. Serve you find a way. It's like marriage. I mean, yeah. you're just sort of like, okay, well, how can this work for both of us? Yeah. Because we're both way happier when <laughs> when, when and when, and with each other. Yeah. Like it's having this work together is way more fun than having my life work by myself. Mm-hmm. So, and playing for an audience is way more fun, way more fun. So, it's like there's a way to they need to feel heard and valued, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's not they don't owe me anything, right? You know, they don't they're not obligated to affirm my value, no, any more, any more than I'm you you offer that as a gift. I mean, I In in a way, it's like, well, if you want the audience to like you, like them first. You know, like, yeah. fucking like these people. Be nice to, like, yeah. what do they want? Yeah. What they What want. would you like to eat for dinner? Right. Says the chef. Yeah. You know? Not like, you guys are going to love this. I'm not telling you what it is. Yeah. But I'll tell you when it's ready. Like, yeah. And it's like, no. what do you guys want to eat? Right. I can cook anything. What do you and want? And you're going to finish it. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, so I was basically like, okay, I, if I'm going to keep exploring this dialect of improvising, I need to do it on some music that we're out, where I'm not asking people to also believe in me as a songwriter, basically. Sure. Or to even comprehend what's the song and what's the improvisation, you know? People need that line shown to them.
0: Yeah. Fish fans know when Fish is off script. Yeah, yeah. But but it it, it takes some work to get there as a a listener. So
1: I was like, yeah. So I was
0: sort of like, well, I'm
1: not trying to say Beethoven's some kind of standard, like popular. Nobody knows. I didn't even pick the famous ones. You know, I pick the ones I like best. Yeah, yeah. But they, f- they know it's Beethoven. I'm i am not asking them to believe in m- me as a... Do you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, as I'm a, as a i asking less of the audience when they know
0: that that's the song. Yeah, totally. You know, like... Totally. Even if they don't know the song. Even if they don't know the yeah. song.
1: Just knowing that they... D- I'm asking them to trust me with twenty percent, not fifty percent, of their attention. Mm-mm. On some unconscious level, they will trust because they—they're like, "Well, it's, the, it's that music." Yeah, yeah. And now let's see who these guys are. Right. You know, right. and that's the—that's why you play standards.
0: Yeah. You know, and it's why there's such a big market for tributes and covers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, and
1: um, so if that's where it's at, you know, um, I'm game. And I tried to do it with Grateful Dead music for a few years. Mm-hmm. Be like, well, I'm gonna speak my dialect right. in, on these in forms, this
0: context, Yeah,
1: and everybody was like, that's wild. Like, I didn't really get any negative feedback, but I definitely got a lot of, who do you think you are?
0: Well, yes. <laughs> Although you did also, you all you are also in a band with Bill Kreutzman. So I mean, you, yeah, you, that that is some level of uh, validation in that. In that, yes. Way. And he of of those four guys,
1: from what I can tell, he's the most sort of like, yeah, let's be let's, let's do the freakier the better. Yeah, man, get. like he has very similar values to me as far as telling the truth on your instrument, to a fault. Uh-huh. And, and then like a, a real down-home c- need to connect to the, your audience. <laughs> while telling the reckless truth. Okay. You know, yeah. like, like that, that doesn't mean like, make sure you don't fuck up, or don't try anything that's risky. Like, he wants it risky, but not, he doesn't want it that, like, brainy. Okay. You know, and that's yeah. like, fucking right exactly what I like. Yeah. But you know, the other guys, in that band, had been listening to the Grateful Dead their whole lives, yeah. and were like very—they knew a lot more of the Grateful Dead rules than I did.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, it's sort of like, well, the guitar solos after the second verse and it solos for this long, and then this one kind of has a—this one is more of an organ <laughs> song, wouldn't you say? And like, we—it—it it started out real free, like I like it. Yeah, and then it gradually. The more we rehearsed, the more things got nailed down. Yeah, and nailed down because of precedent. Not nailed down because that is what works in a practical sense for this specific four people. But like, well, this song. I mean, that's we don't. You don't play the song with that groove. Like yeah. this, the groove for the song is. Yeah. And I'd be like, well, tell Phil Lesh in 1971. I've I've heard them play that song all kinds of ways, right. like, and even if no one's ever done it, isn't this nice?
0: Right. Sure. Like, yeah. What the
1: fuck? Like, why is? And people would be like, well, this audience really, you know, they they know they like, you know. And I'd be like, okay, but the the audience liked the Grateful Dead a lot in 1974,
0: and they they weren't following the Grateful Dead rules. Mm-hmm. And and probably. More so in 74 than 94, when the band themselves right. had, were on their own precedence. Right. You know, and, and yeah. Well, and,
1: and you know, obviously relationships start to establish predictability um, because our, our nervous systems don't like, we, we're really titillated by uncertainty up to a point and then it's fatiguing. And then you need some security, so that's that happens in any relationship. Yeah, you know, um, it's homeostasis. You know, it's um, it's why our heart rate returns to returns to normal after we run or sleep or whatever. Yeah. yeah, you know, like so I understand that, but I don't. I just take issue with precedent being the reason. You know, so. So you know, oh well. So the, <laughs> you know, I I sometimes hear harmonies on in places where one of the Grateful Dead guys didn't sing a harmony. There's no harmonies on that line, and I'll be like, but listen,
0: yeah, it's very pretty, pretty. sounds nice,
1: and they'd be like, yeah, but, right. The worst feeling is when you feel like you can't affect the music, like nothing yeah. you do is yeah. going to affect it. Yeah, you can't steer. Yeah. You you can't get your needs met, essentially. It's like a relationship where your needs are not met. Mm. But in a in a good band like a good band, what am I saying? But like in a band I like, mm-hmm. like Electric Beethoven, mm-hmm. or Jacob Fred, mm-hmm. or T. Leaf Green on a good night, you mm-hmm. know, if it's starting to get too busy, I can play a thing that will move through the ensemble and cause everybody to start playing less. Yeah. It's like a nonverbal cue mm-hmm. of or if it's time to step on the gas in a, in a team, any instrument can say, now it's time to step on the gas and people respond. They should be able to. Not just the guitar player. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I believe in anarchy-ish uh, role playing yeah. in an yeah. ensemble Yeah, as far as power, power relationships, who's dominant, who's submissive. Mm-hmm. I believe in that being really fluid. That, I, that even during a solo somebody else could become dominant or submissive mm. um, and we can move pass that around like a fucking basketball and it doesn't have to be agreed upon roles that, that we stick to you know and that is a hard thing to explain to people <laughs> you know yeah. and people will get very hurt sometimes that things aren't going their way you know and, so it's, fame seems to be what gives you power in those situations. You know, when, you know, when Taj Mahal sits in, everybody on stage is going to be hanging on his every note and defer to him in a way that maybe they wouldn't if it was Brad Barr. Right. Right. Does that mean Taj Mahal is a greater talent? No. He's famous. Yeah. And music, the music business is difficult. Yeah. And we're all hard up for money. And we all are trying to get a stable amount of attention so that we can relax about our future. And you see a famous person and you're like, how can this rub off on me? How can I be supportive? It, it makes sense. I do it too, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. but But it's weird when you're on the other end of that. Yeah. And it's sort of like, you know, I've just been in situations where there was a mix of famous musicians and not famous musicians. And watching that dynamic as you negotiate is fascinating. Yeah. And my favorite famous musicians I've been in groups with are the ones who treat it like we're in eighth grade and we're just fucking homies. Nice. And everybody else is deferring to them, but they're not wielding that. Yeah, right you know that shit's awesome but it is if John Fishman's in the room and you're working on some shit if he pipes up everyone's gonna fucking listen and and try to do it yeah not so maybe if it's me that pipes up yeah Um, but you know John Fishman's the kind of guy who will anybody's idea he'll be like yeah yeah, and then everybody's like, "Well, the famous guy likes it." Yeah, yeah. you know, John Fishman's also happens to be brilliant. Mm-hmm. But that, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's plenty of brilliant people to... that don't get that kind of social pack status. Yeah. yeah, in a team. Mm-hmm. Sure. So that's like definitely a thing. Yeah, and that is how I put the ensemble together. You know, it was like all guys who've been on the losing end of that deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joni Mitchell said uh, one of her songs, she's like, if you dig down deep, you'll lose good sleep and it makes you heavy company. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I think about that as a performer. It's like, I think I always think about it with Jacob Fred, like, like, man, we were, it's really good. And some of it's very joyful, but you it's it was, heavy. It was com- too, too. No. Out there. I don't know, too out. if it wasn't too out there, but it was what it was, mm-hmm. and it was heavy. Like, yeah. you don't casually sit through a night of that music. Yeah. That is an undertaking for the audience. Yeah. And you are, you're basically saying, who wants to go jog three miles? Mm. And you will get a couple takers. Right. Right.
0: You'll feel really good at the you're end. you're not
1: saying, who wants a ride on my cart for three miles? Yeah. All...
0: All pedal. Yeah. You guys or, ride. Or who wants to sit in the shade and have a serenade you on a hot day. Yeah, or...
1: like who like you're gonna get a lot more takers. Yeah. And and that doesn't mean dumb it down. It's just like where's your focus as a songwriter, as a performer, as a team member? Yeah. What are you what's your goal, you know? Right. If your goal is these is, is we all feel fucking good and we and we all feel like we're friends now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about that as a yeah. goal? and you still play as good as you can. Yeah. It is it's not like play play dumber. It's just like these guys aren't playing dumber than John Coltrane. Right. Right. They it's just it's just at the audience. It's with the audience. It's it's inviting them mm-hmm. rather than turning your back on them. Yeah, or just like, being like I'll be on the I'll be on the mountaintop. Climb up climb up when you want to see me. Yeah. It's sort of like I'll be there at 5. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be at your house at 5. Yeah, I'll pick you up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, you know, thanks for driving out here, by the way. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) And there you have it. The Unfiltered Truth with Reed Mathis. I liked all that stuff we got into. Uh, Lots of perspectives that, um, on music and how it relates to people that um, I certainly relate to, but I'm not sure um, how much these ideas are spoken about in everyday everyday life. But a lot of uh, a lot of truth there. So thank you, Reed, for your wisdom and outlooks. Anyway, you've been listening to the Ezra Lip Hour, more or less. Thanks for tuning in. Going to be trying to put these out weekly. However. I don't want it to become too much of a burden because I do have a lot of other stuff going on. So I'm, it's my, it's my attempt. I'm going to try to put one out about every week. Uh, however, you know, if a couple days go by, uh, you could just assume I'm busy with a lot of other projects. Uh, so I'm having fun with this podcast, but, um, I want it to be sustainable too. So, uh, um, I'm going to do my best, um, Anyway, again, feel free to drop me a line. Let me know what you think. Say hi. Otherwise, I'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Take care.